Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shantae, and this podcast is all about providing resources on faith and wellness to help you guys live whole and complete lives. And so I'm going to start this podcast with another thank you. I am just blown away because, as I said, I had hoped that in 30 days, this podcast would have 500 listens, 500 downloads, because I felt like since being off the air for so long, 500 would be a good estimate, a good metric to say, okay, I've got some momentum. People are listening to the podcast and we can build from here. And you guys not only passed that in three days, but as we are officially here at the 30 day mark, I want to tell you that this podcast has like blown away all my expectations. We are at 4,000 downloads in 30 days. And that is phenomenal, especially considering how as of right now, as of the time of this podcast, there's approximately up to 900,000 podcasts that are actively in the blogosphere or in the atmosphere. And so the fact that you guys have found your way here means that not only are you listening, but you are sharing it. I'm starting to see the global footprint. So at first it was just kind of in the United States, but I'm seeing Canada perk up and I'm seeing Mexico perk up and I'm seeing my listens in the UK perk up. And I'm just so grateful and so thankful for that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart, as I always say, and I will continue to say, there is no algorithm between your fingertips and your friends. So if you find value in this podcast, please continue to share it. If you know that it can help people, especially at a time now where people are very stressed out, where people are riddled with anxiety, where there is a ton of uncertainty, where people are trying to figure out where their next check is going to come from, where small business owners are struggling in the midst of trying to keep their employees safe, but at the same time pay their bills and feed their kids. Um, it's a really tough time for so many people. And so if this podcast in any way can just alleviate even a fraction of that, it's absolutely worth sharing. So thank you guys so much for not only listening, but continuing to listen and continuing to share. And so now that we have finished another series, it is time to move into our next one. We are just moving right on along. And this series is all about spiritual weight loss. So I know that when you saw weight loss in the category, you were like, oh, yes. Okay, time to get my waist snatched. Okay, trying to get this thing together for the summer. No, sugar, this ain't, this is not that. (laughs) This is not that type of podcast. And don't get me wrong. At some point we will wade into those waters because this is a wellness podcast. So it's not just about mental wellness, but overall wellness and wholeness and complete living includes our physical well-being as well. But when I'm talking about weight loss for this particular series, I'm talking about spiritual weight loss. And so our guiding text for this series is a short one. It is from Matthew eleven twenty eight, and it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So our focus for today's episode will be spiritual obesity, black does crack, and children learn what they live. So let's get right into it. So as always, let's start with some definitions, okay, making sure that we're understanding and very clear on our terms. So obesity, believe it or not, is actually a medical condition. So physical obesity is a medical condition. It's not just, 
oh, you ate too much or, oh, these people are fat and all those other kind of derogatory terms and stigmas. It is actually considered by the medical community as a disease. It is a medical condition and it has a medical definition. And so it is characterized by Webster as the condition characterized by the excessive accumulation of storage of fat in the body. But the Obesity Medicine Association defines obesity as a chronic, relapsing, multifactorial, neurobehavioral disease resulting in adverse metabolic and psychosocial health consequences. So let me break this down, okay? Let me break this down like a fraction, okay? Obesity is characterized as a disease, a condition characterized by the excessive, meaning more than what is considered normal or standard. Accumulation, meaning that things are piling up of fat in the body. It is chronic. When they say chronic, that means that it is persisting for a long period of time or it is something that is constantly recurring. They said it is relapsing. So that means that you, after doing well for a while, will have a setback, okay? You will come back to it. And many of us have experienced that in the physical realm where we'll lose 30 pounds and then we'll gain 45, okay? So it is a relapsing condition. It is multifactorial, meaning that there are more than one factors at play. It's not just because somebody ate too many Twinkies. There are a number of factors that go into play when someone is physically obese. It is neurobehavioral, which means there is a connection between the brain and the body. And so what the brain thinks or is experiencing, if it's stressed, if it's riddled with anxiety, it manifests in bodily symptoms. And one of those symptoms or outcomes is obesity. That results, so all of this is resulting equals to adverse, okay, something that is adverse is something that is preventing your success or your development. It is something that is harmful or unfavorable to you. Metabolic, which means how quickly things are broken down for energy and psychosocial health consequences. So the result of all of these things conspires to produce or to result in these adverse, these negative things that prevent your success, that prevent how quickly you can navigate and pivot because metabolism is all about how quickly we can break things down and use them for energy. So when we talked about the cancer series, right? Normally, we should be able to withstand disappointments and setbacks and pivot quickly. But when your metabolism, when your spiritual metabolism is slow, you're not able to pivot quickly from those things. And so your metabolism is slowed down and psychosocial health consequences. Okay, so I'm going to break that down into a spiritual definition. So what is spiritual obesity? Spiritual obesity is actually a spiritual condition characterized by the excessive accumulation and storage of what emotional weight in the body. If you think that we don't carry our burdens in our body, you are sadly mistaken. It's not just a mental thing. We literally carry this weight in our bodies. It is a chronic, relapsing, multifactorial, neurobehavioral disease that results in intrapersonal, relational, and physical health consequences. So intrapersonal, meaning that 
inside of you, there are consequences. There is angst. There is anxiety. Relational. It has an impact, an adverse impact on your relationships and physical health consequences because of the way that we choose to deal with so many of our problems. And so throughout this podcast, you're going to notice that I keep making these mind-body connections, right? I'll take a serious physical condition like cancer or obesity and draw parallels between a similar spiritual condition. And I want you to know that that is very intentional. When something hurts us physically, we are hardwired to seek help, to get a cast, to get a prescription, to get a diagnosis, but we don't do that. We do not do that with our mental and spiritual health. And I am advocating that we start to prioritize it in the same way. So spiritual obesity, I don't care if you weigh 125 pounds, many of us are spiritually obese. We are carrying far too much emotional weight. Now, when it's physical, fat in our bodies is measured by a metric called the BMI. I know that most of you are familiar with this metric. It's called the BMI, the body mass index. But for our series, we're going to be referencing the a different BMI, the burden mass index. Many of us are so burdened by finances, work anxiety, pressure, the pressure to thrive, social pressure to get married, to have kids, to take care of the kids, to make a lot of money, to live in a certain neighborhood, to drive a certain car, or be emotionally impenetrable, meaning that when something hurts you in many facets of our society, you're not even allowed to break down. You're not even allowed to show emotion. You're not even allowed to show vulnerability or you're going to get pounced on. And we're going to talk about that. We also carry our emotional burdens. So we, we carry church hurt and grief and loss and anger with God. We, we carry frustration with our bodies because our bodies don't bounce back or snap back or look like we think they ought to look. And, and it's getting harder and harder to try to maintain a certain weight or a certain size. So we carry all of those frustrations. We carry the emotional burdens of complicated relationships, complicated relationships with ourselves or our parents or our significant others or our children. We struggle with things like our own significance. Why am I here? We want to feel like that we matter. We struggle with forgiveness. Okay. We struggle with forgiveness of ourselves for some of the decisions that we've made and we struggle to forgive others. And all of that, all of those burdens, all of that anxiety, all of that pressure is expanding our spiritual waistlines. And I would venture to guess for many of us, our physical weight lines, our burden mass index is tipping the scales. And it's time for us to take a look at the impact of that and what God says about carrying so much weight, which brings us to Sojourner Truth. So I love this. So I'm going to, you know, wear my bias right out here. I'm an English professor. I'm not sure how many of you knew that. And my minor studies as well as my graduate studies was in African-American studies and African-American literature. And so Sojourner Truth, uh, her famous speech, Ain't I a Woman, when she was pushing for equality, women's equality, she wasn't just talking about the suffrage and the right to vote, but she was also talking about being looked upon as human, being able to be viewed as someone who was vulnerable, someone who was a fully feeling human being. And so it was an appeal for humanity. And so I'm going to read an excerpt of this from her speech, Ain't I a Woman? 
And it goes like this. She says, that man over there says that women need to be helped in the carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best place everywhere. Well, nobody ever helped me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could beat me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most off sold off into slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus could hear me. And ain't I a woman? This just hits me every time I read it and every time I see it because for centuries, okay, and I'm talking about black women right now, for centuries, black women have been expected to be the strong one. We can take a licking and keep on ticking. We've got strong minds and strong backs and strong arms and we can bring home the bacon and serve it up in the pan and, and not miss a beat. And translation, what that looks like today is that we're supposed to drink all of our water and stay hydrated and keep our edges laid and keep our nail done, hair done, everything did. Raise these kids, drive a nice car, keep a good job, get a good education and not not break down. Ain't we a woman? In other words, she's saying, aren't I human? Ain't I human? Don't I have any right to have some measure of humanity where I can take a moment and grieve, where I can take a moment and feel weak, where I can take a moment and, and pause my life and all of these obligations and responsibilities. And we have passed these expectations down through generation after generation, even now, even right now on today, as we are in this election season, the backbone of the Democratic electorate is resting where? On the backs of black women. And we wear that as a badge of honor, right? We say black don't crack. Well, sisters, brothers, I'm here to tell you, yes, the it does. Yes, it does. We may look like we're holding it all together on the outside, but on the inside, we are struggling. We are struggling to keep it together. We won't even allow ourselves a measure of self-compassion, and that's going to be a whole other series, but we won't even allow ourselves some self-compassion because we're afraid that we're going to break down and we can't break down. Why? Because we have too many people relying on us to be strong and we have demonized we have demonized men. We have de demonized black men for having feelings and emotions. You know, I, <laughs> this is not funny, but it is. Uh, one of my friends, you know, recently said we were talking about uh, Love is Blind. So that show on Netflix and about how many of the men in that show were just so emotional and crying. And one of my friends said, I cannot stand a crying man. She said, funerals and amputations. That's it. So basically... <laughs> If somebody died or you get your leg cut off, okay, you can cry. But other than that, you can't even cry. So not only do women feel the pressure to be invincible, men can't even be vulnerable without being called weak or punk or worse. And I remember this very distinctly and it was just so, it, it plucked me to my core. I remember last year or the past couple of years in the wave of the Me Too movement when Terry Crews, a strong black man, very successful in the entertainment industry, he came out and he disclosed in a, in a moment of vulnerability and solidarity with other victims to share that he had been physically molested in as an adult 
by a person in power in the entertainment industry. He did this to show support, to be alongside the other brave women who were sharing their stories. And what happened? Black people, black men especially, nailed him to the cross. They said he was a punk. They said he was gay. They said that as big and strong as he is, he must have wanted it. They could not accept his truth because they can't face their own truths. Do not think for one second that Terry Crews is the only black man to which this has happened. It has happened to many black men. Common wrote a book and said that it has happened to him. But a lot of men are not going to be able to be vulnerable. So they attack. They attack in order to protect and preserve the mythology of the super black man. And so when they have pressure from within their own group saying, man, you can't be weak, you can't be soft. You know, think about this. When a little girl is, is running around on the playground and she runs and she skins her knee and she's crying and she's bleeding, uh, there's a, a community like, oh, baby, oh, my goodness. Oh, honey, come here. Let me see. Oh, it's going to be OK. And there's patting and there's swaying and there's comforting and there's all of this outpouring and groundswell of support. But let a little boy be running on that same playground and skin his knee and he starts crying and bleeding. What does it get? Oh man, you all right, man. You all right, man. Come on now. Shake it off. Shake it off, man. I, I shut all that noise up. Come on, man. Come on. Man. You, you good. You good. From a very young age, we have been packing on the emotional pounds and we wonder why we are buckling under the pressure in adulthood. So get this. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, so I did a little research, okay? African-American women have the highest rates of being overweight or obese compared to other groups in the United States. About four out of five African-American women in the United States are overweight or obese. But black don't crack, right? Okay, it does. That's about 80% of us. We cannot keep carrying these burdens on our backs like pack mules and think that at some point it's not going to take its toll. We are aging ourselves. We are shortening our lifespans. We are diminishing our quality of life and we are doing it in ways that are going to cripple our legacy. We're not going to live the, the lives that God intended us to live because we have put so much of this weight on our backs. In addition to that, who do you think has the highest rates of hypertension and high blood pressure? Who do you think has the highest rates of diabetes? Who do you think has the highest risk of stroke? It's us. It is us, my people. You know, I'm saying this and doing this out of love because this is what we've been taught. We don't know any other way to be, but I'm here to teach you as, as they say in our community, you gonna learn today. Okay. You're going to learn throughout this series, which brings us to vicarious learning. Children learn what they live. And so not only does black crack, okay, we may not show up on the outside, but absolutely on the inside, our bodies are telling us a different story. But children learn what they live. There's something that's called vicarious learning. This is a psychological term. And vicarious learning is learning that is derived from indirect sources, such as hearing or observation rather than direct hands-on instruction. So when you read the Bible and you look at the mistakes of the children of Israel, that's vicarious learning. You should say, hmm. 
I don't want to go that route because it put them in bondage. And so I'm going to learn from their mistakes so that I don't end up in bondage. And that bondage, ooh, father, that's a whole nother series for a whole nother day. But we're going to keep them coming because that's what we're doing. That's what we're, we're about here at Whole and Complete. But vicarious learning, okay? So how did we learn to cope with stress and burdens? How often did you see your family having healthy, constructive dialogue about their problems, mothers and fathers? How often did you hear your parents say that they had a really good session with their therapist? How often did you see, you know, their stresses worked out at the gym or on the track? Chances are you did not. That's just not the way that we handled things. And that's not to say that we can't turn that around. But for a lot of us, that's just not how we learn to deal with problems and stress. We were told to go somewhere and sit down to get out of their faces that they didn't want to be bothered or they were snapping at us left and right because they were buckling under the pressure. So how often did we see them do things like stuff in their faces with chips and chicken and ice cream and pizza and beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkey, ham? That will never get old. That will never get old. But how often did we see them doing that? How often did we see them snapping on the kids, snapping on us, snapping on our siblings? How often were we told to stop crying because didn't nobody want to hear that noise and so we had to learn emotional regulation that when you're hurt you cannot cry out that when you're hurt you have to suck it up and we talked about that in the previous episode in the previous series how often did you see a drink in their hand how often did you see a cigarette or a blunt in their hand how often did you see them staying out all hours of the night because they didn't want to come home and just deal with life and the responsibilities of life how often have you heard people say oh I've never seen my daddy cry oh I never seen my mama cry you know many of us learned through our parents through our families through our our systems of origin how to numb ourselves okay so we numbed ourselves through things like tv or video games or or sports or other distractions we learned how to run or to escape so that we wouldn't have to confront and to face we learned how to self-medicate we learned how to suck it up we were told to pray and, you know, pray and walk away, but we never learned to really put our faith in action. And sadly, even worse, our people that were in a position to help us did not help us, but hit us with the, with the thoughts and prayers. And I want to speak to that specifically. So James chapter two, 14 through 17 says this, what good is it? My brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. In other words, thoughts and prayers without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So in other words, when you can do, you should do. As we sit here in the midst of a global pandemic and elderly people are getting bum rushed at the stores and by the time they get there, if they can get there, things are run out and sold out and you sitting on a stockpile of hand sanitizer and toilet tissue and essential things like bread and milk and eggs and cheese. When you know that there are other people out there starving, the Bible says your thoughts and prayers ain't gonna cut it. If you have the ability to do, you should do. 
But yet again, that's another series for another day. But these are the things that we learned, right? And our children are looking at the way that we handle this crisis. Our children are looking at the way that we are either hoarding and saying, hey, every man for himself, or they're going to be looking at the way that we gave and opened up our hearts and opened up our wallets or opened up whatever provisions that we could to try to help someone other than ourselves. And so we have vicariously learned to pack on the spiritual pounds. And as a result, not only are we crippled spiritually, but physically and emotionally, we are so burdened and so riddled with anxiety that we're not living. We're coping. We're getting by. We're living the good times life, right? Keeping your head above water, making a way when you can, scratching and surviving. That's what so many of us are doing. And that is not God's will for your life. God said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, a full and abundant life. It didn't mean a life without problems, but scratching and surviving ain't in the book. I keep, I will, I will always bring you back to that. That scratching, that scrapping, that getting by, that hustling, that trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. That may have been our reality, but that was not God's intention. And we don't have to keep passing that down. Now, one thing I will say in the midst of this Corona epidemic, um, my people, we're going to be all right. Okay. Because many of us, we didn't come up on fine dining. We didn't come up in the Trader Joe's and the whole foods of the world. Okay. So we know how to throw a pot of beans and a pot of rice in there, throw a little meat in there, a little fat back here, there and make it work. Now, is it the healthiest thing? No, because that's why we got diabetes. But, but when we get by, yes, we can get by. Okay. But the fact is that we're coping with scratching and surviving. We're feeding our fears. We're feeding our insecurities. We're feeding our anxieties. And we wonder why it's so hard to get out of bed in the morning. But this is where I leave you. This is where I leave you. So on our next episode, and you thought this was was it, baby, we about to take it to a whole nother level. We're going to talk about spiritual comfort food. Okay, so we're going to do a deep dive into the things that we stuff ourselves with to manage our problems, and how they're impacting our lives, our beliefs and our decisions. Food is an addiction, just like drugs, just like alcohol. Food is an addiction. And without realizing it, many of us have become addicted to certain spiritual comfort foods, certain things that numb us from feeling the pain of our existence. And we're going to go deeper into that in the next episode of this series. And so... If you found value in this episode, please rate it. Please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and rate it. Please review it. Please recommend it to your friends. There is no algorithm between your fingers and your friendships. And this is something that I just feel is so, even in the midst of a million podcasts that are currently in circulation, I felt that this was necessary. God gave it to me and I'm going to take it and run with it. And I hope that you would help me run that race. If you are Tyler Perry's makeup artist, go ahead and play this podcast while you're doing his makeup or, or somebody else, you know, help me, help, help me get the word out. Okay. Let plant that seed in the life of someone who can make a difference that can scale this movement, that can scale this word, that can scale this to heights unknown because God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But I'm also a firm believer that we don't have because we don't ask. And so that is my ask. That is what I'm asking you. Help me to scale this message, to take it, as Jesus said, the gospel to the ends of the earth so that we can help our people facilitate and continue the healing process. So 
If you have any questions, takeaways, comments, you know, you can hit me up at Dr. Shante says on Twitter, on Instagram, you can use the hashtag whole and complete so that I can find your comments. And I just appreciate you continuing this movement with me and I will see you on the next episode.